This is Tony Burns. And this is Scott Burns with Love in America. Coming to you from the, not from <laughs> not the Crooked, from the crooked little, little House this time. We're coming to you from Good Earth Good Natural Earth Foods. Natural Foods in Spearfish. One of our sponsors and our uh, favorite here in place to shop. Spearfish, South Dakota. Really? Yeah. And uh, we're calling this uh, episode uh, Playing Favorites 2. T-O-O. Oh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to bring you a, a couple stories that we'll talk about in a minute. But first, we wanted to give you a little background on uh, this year's journey. Okay. Uh, for patrons and supporters, you've already seen a list of some of the places that we're planning on going. Yes. And if you haven't, you can go to our website, that's uh, loveinamerica.us, mm-hmm. and go to the journey page, and yes. you'll be able to see a list of yep. all the places we're going. Yep. I asked Tony before we came down, and I haven't asked her what she chose beforehand. Of all mm-hmm. the 30, 40, 50 places and contacts that mm-hmm. we've arranged for this year's journey from July through September or October, October depending, depending on how upon- funding. (laughs) Um, What stood out to you right away on the Uh, list? Well, the first one, actually, it was a a duplicate because I was looking at the Essene community. I dug into that a little bit. The Essenes were, by the way, if you don't know, were a first first century Christian sect. Mm -hmm. We didn't realize there were still Essenes out there in the world. Yes, there are. There's a whole community of them. In South Central Iowa. I know. I know. (laughs) So I was looking at that and then also, and I I apologize, I keep calling it the White Rose Catholic Communist Workers Farm, (laughs) but they're not communists. Well, because it's a commune. It's a commune. And, and I guess by definition, if you live in a commune, you're a communist, but not in the political not sense. Not in the political <laughs> sense. But they both both of them have, um, they basically open their homes to the public. Mm-hmm. If you are in need, if you need a place to stay, if you need food, if they live their lives in the, in the truest of the Christian faith. And when I say that, I mean literally walking in the steps of Christ. Mm-hmm. That which you do to the least of my brothers, that you do unto me, one of my favorite. That's, that's the type of thing that that they do. So uh-huh. I thought, oh, this sounds like a really interesting, and all the pictures, they're fairly young. Uh-huh. So I'm going, oh, a bunch of young Catholic hippies. This could be a lot <laughs> Welcoming of a couple of middle-aged South Dakota bikers. bikers <laughs> I know. And speaking of middle-aged South Dakota bikers, uh-huh. my other favorite one <laughs> was the Oak Lawn Center for Aging uh-huh. because they do Tai Chi classes for arthritis. That's about our speed now. <laughs> but when I first saw that, I thought, Oak Lawn, wait, isn't that, isn't that isn't that, a, it, that that's next door that's that's what i thought <laughs> yeah. that's you're thinking forest lawn forest lawn <laughs> was that that john denver song take that. me when i'm yeah, yeah take me when i'm gone to forest lawn <laughs> yeah and that's what i first thought of and i went Hmm. Okay. So this could be interesting. Tai Chi in the afterlife is in a perspective on love we hadn't had before. But it sounds like we may be getting soon. Yep. Now, I um, obviously, because we put the list together ourselves, and so I don't want to play favorites on any of this stuff, but sometimes (laughs) things just just rise to the top and, Mm -hmm. and strike you. And one of the ones I'm really looking forward to is the Algonquin Golf Club in St. Louis, because we're trying to cover every different aspect of American culture society and all the subcultures and groups and we haven't had a lot of contact with that sort of upper one percent right and i don't mean by one percenters in in biker terms no, because that's a much different that's 1%. a much different one percent <laughs> and, and we've had more contact with, with them that? actually uh but the the upper one percent of socioeconomic mm-hmm. class and mm-hmm. you know we've tried to our, our attempts to get into martha's vineyard were unsuccessful and so i'm not quite sure how we're going to make it into the Algonquin no we don't know club. we're just gonna go for it but i'm curious to know you know there are social stresses and concerns mm-hmm. and aspects of love with that population that would be different. Than, yeah, very different, and, I would think. And, and maybe not. 
and may, again, we want to dispel preconceptions, right. overcome stereotypes, and, and let people come to us as they are. And we yeah. thought that that's an important voice to also yes. include. Yes. And one we haven't had a lot of contact no, with. No, we haven't. One of the others that I'm really looking forward to is a continuation of a contact that we did make when we were in Montgomery, Alabama. <gasps> yes, on I know our exactly what you're going on. In 2015. And that's with the Dexter Avenue mm-hmm. Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Reverend Handley. And Re- Reverend Handy. Handy. Prom- Cromwell, Cromwell Handy. Handy. The Dexter Avenue Church church was Martin Luther King's original mm-hmm. church, and it sits right down Dexter Avenue from the Capitol building, where, cool. where King gave his How Long Not Long speech right. during the Montgomery bus boycotts. Right. And we were there on a Sunday last time, and we got to meet Reverend Handy. But it was Father's wife, Day. And it was Father's Day. He had another service to do the sat- that and afternoon. And his papa was with him. But members of the congregation had invited us in, and we know, sat in the awesome. pews and talked with them, and it was a great encounter, and we mm-hmm. wanted to extend that and make sure that we include their voices and get them on as part of the documented yes. interviews that we've done. Indeed. And especially with Reverend Handy and his yes. wife, who were very gracious. Very <laughs> gracious. And very we, very apologetic, but oh my even gosh. Even though this pair of bikers fell out of the sky on him asking him, hey, what about love? <laughs> We'd love to tell you, but not, but right not today. <laughs> yep. And uh, the other um, that we just got a confirmation on is uh, going to be a little bit of a tougher one to write these questions for, because our questions are really a little different with each population oh, yes. and with each interview and subculture that we talk to because the pressures and 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 perspectives of those different cultures are different mm-hmm. right and so we found a group in Grand Island Nebraska called Circle of Strength sorry Grand Island Grand Island no that's Rhode <laughs> that's Island Rhode Island <laughs> <laughs> and the the Circle of Strength is a support group oh, for widows, widows and, and widowers, widowers. yeah and so talking about not necessarily focusing on you know the grief of loss although I'm sure that's going to be part that's of the perspective yeah, it has to be. But, you know, the overall story of how love plays into your life through that and mm-hmm. how you move on and how they've bonded with each other. And, mm-hmm. and you know, the role of love in that case is going to be a much different kind of story. Very much so. And yeah. uh, so these are all voices that we're looking forward to bringing to you, all part of the 2019 journey, yep. which you can help make happen. Yes, you can. <laughs> if you just go to the website, loveinamerica.us, and click on the donate button, mm-hmm. that will take you right to our Indiegogo, Indiegogo. page. And uh, that campaign is going to be open for about a month, mm-hmm. but early donations count even more right. because people like to back a winner. And yep. if you donate, more people are willing to follow you. Other stories that we have going uh, for this episode mm-hmm. that we're going to be bringing you, we're going to uh, visit people across the United States with the answer to the question, what is love? If mm-hmm. you had to define it and say, well, most people say, well, you know it when, no, you, when see you see it. it. Well, yeah. What if you can't see it? How would you? How do you you say, how, how do you, you say, tell how someone? How do you tell somebody what love is? Right. And so I think you'll be amused by hearing what people around the United States, how they <laughs> responded to that. And we're also going to revisit a story that we did before in Love and History. And I guess Alice Cooper's old enough to be history now. I think he is history. He's living, Except he's living still... history. He and Cheryl have been together for over three decades. Mm-hmm. And so I think you'll be interested in hearing Alice and Cheryl Cooper's story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have an original narrative from Tales from the Heart of America and coming which up. One's that? It's going to be a surprise. Ooh, I'm going to be surprised too. Because sometimes love is a surprise. And that's going to be a new story. And all of that's coming up for you on Love in America. Whoa, oh, oh, when there's love, love, love. <laughs>
We all want to feel loved, right? Of course we do. <laughs> but, but we also want to feel needed. Of course we do. Well, your country needs you. Yeah, and it needs love. <laughs> it does. <laughs> so we're heading out uh, for the first time since 2017. Sure. Love in America is hitting the road to find love in cultures, places, and events around the country. And here's the best part. Oh, do tell. You can help. Oh, yay. Well, I don't mean you, you. I mean them, you. <laughs> so if you want to help spread love in America, help bridge the red and blue divide, destroy stereotypes, yay. and have a pretty good time while you're out. That's always the good part. Go to our website, <laughs> loveinamerica.us, and click on the donate button. That's the donate button on loveinamerica.us. <laughs> <laughs> and we want you to help spread love in America. <laughs> This is Scott Burns with Love in America. This is Tony Burns with Love in America. We are here at the beautiful Red Rocks Amphitheater above Morrison, Colorado, one of our favorite places to love in America, mm -hmm. um, and to bring you some of what we discovered on our most recent field work traveling yep. across the United States. First of all, before we can really look at what the meaning of love is in people's lives, we thought we'd ask them to define it. In other words, say, what is love? Geez, that's a deep question right off the bat. Can't we ease into it? Um... Oh lordy, I didn't know that these were going to be so hard. <laughs> I'm going to have to read a lot about this. Sometimes you can explain what that is and sometimes you just can't. Oh god, I don't know. So I think everybody some, somewhere in their hearts knows what love is, but it's like saying what's the meaning of life? Very difficult thing to get have people put in some sort of little concise format. There were a number of people of different social economic classes, mm -hmm. um, different preferences, different age groups, and it was interesting to find out that there were so many different definitions of, love. of what people thought it meant. Yeah, I think it may be just a state of mind that you know that you're committed to a relationship forever. Love is a way of being, a way of walking in the world. And well, the cheap way is love is never having to say you're sorry. But... No, love means happy to say you're sorry about every 30 seconds. That's... <laughs> Sorry. No, that's okay. Love is powerful and ruthless. Love is scary. <laughs> but like it's like a good scary. I mean, I'd rather be like frightened and in love than like alone and not feeling anything. Love is beautiful. Love is contagious. Most important thing. It's surface level when you first meet someone and think that they're great and fun and cute. And I'm like, ooh, who's that over there? Uh, I think she's hot. It's meant to be that way so we can be drawn together, but so much more than that. The love is everything. Yes, without love, there's no mom, there's no dad, there's no community. After people had a chance to sort of think about what it meant to them mm -hmm. and define love is, oftentimes those answers didn't really reflect what people thought they were looking for. What people thought they were looking for and when they tried to define love, there were some very grand but general terms. Right. It means trust, it means confidence, it means devotion, Communication, loyalty. loyalty. But yet for most <laughs> folks it wasn't, it, it wasn't the grand scheme of what right. love was, it was the little things, the, the daily things that were making their lives better mm -hmm. and whole. Mm -hmm. It's the little things that matter that add up to the big stuff. Uh, 
lot of the courtesy, the opening the doors. He's not afraid to actually treat me like a woman. Uh, he'll buy me a rose for no reason. He'll give me a back massage when I'm hurting. It's not like, oh, here's a diamond for you, dear. You know, it's the little thing. It's just being able to like share, you know, your everyday life experiences. Oh, I saw this person in the hallway. You should have seen her pants. Ah! If I would wait till like Ellen, ten after six, dinner would be on the stove. It's not dry. And the time it just yeah. right, dinner would be started. I'm like, whew. I appreciate the way you do things around the house. <laughs> Most of the time without being asked more than once. <laughs> There's friendships that goes deep, and sometimes it's with the person you're in love with, but there's friendship, or your partners with, there's friendships that goes deep as love. And in fact, most of the people that we talk to, long-term couples, would, during the course of a longer interview, would often mention that they didn't feel whole without the other person, and it was... And that's what their love was. And it's just without her, it's not like, I want to be. I always want to be with this woman. There's, there's no, there's no me without you. There's nothing else to say from there. I treasure you because you are the other half of me. I like you because you wash my underwear. <laughs> you are such a smart ass. <laughs> Some, some people thought it was just so, you know, flowery and wonderful and, you know, sort of fairy tale. But then there was other people that just totally had no, I mean, cynics and... and, and there were a few cynics in the crowd. <laughs> Love is a myth. <laughs> it's something that somebody, it's a word somebody uses to describe, uh, I want to get lucky for five days and then split up. Girls come to me, I don't need them. Okay. And I've had plenty of losers. Get that on camera. Plenty of losers. Yeah, this is not real romantic. Um, it's like a lot. You gotta roll that dice again and get hurt again and roll it again. I think that there is no word in the English language that has become more meaningless than the word love. Love is love will make you crazy. I got married. I got married a year ago. Did you? Yeah. Business reasons only. Should I even ask or is that No, we don't love each other. Do you want to be miserable? <laughs> One of the most inspiring parts of the interviews and the questions that, that we did when we asked this specifically, you know, what what is love? How do mm -hmm. you know when you found right. it? Right. Um, and oftentimes after one of the interviews, people would tell us, you know, that was fascinating for them, is having to really look at the question, answer what you thought love was, how to define it, because mm -hmm. we don't often do that. We don't define it, and that's, that's, you know it when you find it. That's always one of my favorites, you know it when you find it. But I think sometimes when you find it, it's not what you thought you were looking for. I would say, love is surprising. Um, we, we can, you mean we can answer this honestly? Yeah, I'm afraid so. <laughs> It sounds you know, cheesy, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're the yolk and I'm the marshmallow. You are the marshmallow. <laughs> That's for sure. True love is looking outwardly together, not necessarily in the same direction. I would say that love is a choice and a commitment, not an emotion. If you go with emotions and feelings, they change all the time. And you say, I don't love you anymore. I'm out of love with you. No, I choose to love him. I choose to love him even when he's unlo unlovable, when he is just being a brat. Sometimes I think it's maturity. It's like I say, I don't care what happens in this relationship. I'm never going anywhere. I'm here to tell death do his part. And that's not even going to probably finalize it either. So. And thank you.
take them for their faults. Everybody has their faults. I have mine, she has hers. And just okay, that's, you know, it she's not a great housekeeper, but she makes me laugh. I can mop a floor. <laughs> yeah, commitment in life with somebody where you're ready to face the obstacles and uh, happy times. You're the one put joy in my heart. I just will take her and, and fly. Yeah, it will be just very You know, that's, that's the <laughs> bond. That's the real bond. It's something that you can't touch. It's like the sign says, come grow old with me. That's what I would say, that's a happily ever after. <laughs> we got married yesterday, and I woke up and I just thought, this is the most real day in my life. Because it's just like, Oh, this is what it means when you meet your destiny. Like, and it doesn't feel like some foreign thing. It's just like coming home. Love is hope. So I have a quick question for you. What does America need more than anything else? Love. I'm going with that, too. <laughs> Love right out there in the open for everybody to see. I like that. <laughs> because that's the point at which Americans are going to learn to understand one another again. Yes, that's the only way we're going to be able to bridge those gaps. Right. The blue and red, the stereotypes. Destroying the stereotypes. You know the last time a friend or family said or thought something and you went, oh, I don't understand that. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but we didn't hate them. We wanted to no. know. No, you you start with, tell me. Right. So we're going out across America to have America tell us <laughs> what is love. What does it mean? How do we how do we find it with each other? And the best part about all this, mm -hmm. you can help. Awesome. <laughs> Go to our website, www.loveinamerica.us, and click on the donate button. Help put love in America on the road and spread the love. I like love. question for you okay. and I know that this is a thing that you do love but I've never asked you why why, why do you love horror movies so much oh really really that the main reason and horror books you're and the only person I know that turns and... on a zombie movie to go to bed to go to bed yeah to it's, take relaxing. A nap. it's relaxing <laughs> it's relaxing you know I don't know I think really one of the main reasons is because it's fiction you can be really really scared and afraid you're gonna die and know that you're not going to. It's titillating. It's, it's ooh, titillating. Oh, <laughs> that sounds like a naughty word. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, that feeling of being able to touch on the edge of danger is, is a very human expression. And it's part of a good story. And it's part of a story and, and that impression that you would share with our feature today, mm -hmm. uh, Alice Cooper. Oh, yes. Um, drawing from horror films, <laughs> <laughs> vaudeville, Broadway, garage rock, mm -hmm. uh, Alice Cooper's been fascinated fascinating audiences with his act for over five decades yep. now. In July, this past July, he just released his 27th studio album oh called Paranormal, gosh. which is fabulous, by the way. Oh, I He's listen. done his best, best stuff since about 1995, I think. Great music still coming out from Alice Cooper. Um, he's currently playing over 100 shows in support with his familiar yet evolving stage show with the usual electric chairs, guillotines, blood, and boa constrictors. Because <laughs> <laughs> what's an Alice Cooper show without that. Of course. 
you know, Cooper is originally from Michigan, where both his father and his grandfather were pastors, and mm-hmm. he remains a diehard Detroit Tigers baseball fan. <laughs> Uh, but when he was 12, his family, he has one sister, moved to California and then to Arizona, where they lived in a trailer park. Oh. But originally, Vincent Damon Fernier, which was his original name, was just the singer for the Alice Cooper Band, a group of high school track runners and art class buddies. <laughs> oh, my God. They were geeks. They, <laughs> they were jock geeks. They were the geeks. And they got together during a talent show to spoof Beatles tunes oh, that's in funny. a band that they'd made up called the Earwigs. <laughs> They put silly wigs on and dressed mm-hmm. up like the Beatles right. and, and changed the lyrics around to a bunch of tunes to sing for their running track coach. Okay. And it went over so well that they decided afterwards, hey, maybe we should learn how to actually play. <laughs> <laughs> so they took lessons afterward to, to oh actually learn gosh. how to play music. Their art teacher, incidentally, had them build a guillotine once for slicing watermelons. Oh. On stage uh-huh. later on, I didn't know this, the executioner on stage for uh-huh. the Welcome to My Nightmare Tour uh-huh. that used the the guillotine uh-huh. was James Randi, the magician. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so, I love it. The the origin of the name, uh-huh. like so many stories about uh-huh. Alice Cooper, uh-huh. has has a superficially sinister ring to it. Okay. It turns out it's a lot funnier and more human than that. Okay. <laughs> the idea for the name did not actually surface, according to popular legend, during a Ouija board session with an 18th century witch <laughs> named Alice Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> Although there was an 18th century witch named Alice Cooper. Seriously? Yeah, oh he, my she gosh. wasn't talking to them at the time because okay. they actually got the name from Mayberry RFD. No. There was a character on there named Alice Cooper who was played by the actress Alice Ghostly. They were just looking for a name that was innocuous enough sounding that when people went and saw, oh, we're going to go see Alice, Alice Cooper, Cooper, nice little folk singer or something, and then they got blood and boa constrictors <laughs> that they'd remember it <laughs> and go tell their friends. Oh, yes. So with, with the band's input, that Alice person persona, though, that he developed became a distinct personality, mm-hmm. uh, right. kind of a person of its own, very consciously different from Vince, who would occasionally disclaim responsibility in the media for things Alice would say and still refers to him today in the third person. That, that sounds a little uh, a little uh, multi-personality well, disorder. <laughs> if it was anybody else, I would say yes, but that separation was conscious and it, mm-hmm. was, it was born out of necessity. Uh, Cooper himself said... I like going to the movies with my kids, going, oh, going yeah. shopping and doing all the stuff a dad and husband does. But Alice would hate that. Uh-huh. He, he lives for one thing, the audience. Mm-hmm. And there was a time when I didn't know where I ended and Alice began. So uh. I had to say, if I'm going to assume the character of Alice Cooper, I have to be able to leave him on stage. So that kind of deliberate vision and right. a great sound. The Alice Cooper band never got enough credit for being incredible songwriters yes. and musicians. Yes. Um, and the readiness of audiences to, in the early 70s <laughs> for something kind of new mm-hmm. attracted the business chops of people like producer Bob Ezrin and composer Frank Zappa, mm-hmm. who gave the band their first record deal. Okay. When he was talking about those times, he said the late 60s and early 70s were a breeding ground for exciting new sounds because soft rock and folk were kind of taking over the airwaves uh-huh. you know and when you think right. about it you know what a horse with no name and right. brandy and one Simon tin soldier and and all that stuff and, was popular yep. at the time so cooper said i think it was a natural kind of step to take that blissful easygoing sound and strangle the life out of it 
<laughs> the, the hippies wanted peace and love. We wanted Ferraris, blondes, and switchblades. <laughs> I looked around and realized there's a ton of Peter Pans out there, but no Captain Hook. Oh, I'll be that. I like that. <laughs> so, and so though he gained a you know a legendary reputation mm-hmm. for violence and depravity on stage, especially angering conservatives and evangelicals uh-huh. at the time. Alice's idiom was always maniacal and not diabolical, which is to say what? he never crossed religious lines. Oh, okay. I was trying to I was trying to especially that. especially imagery or lyrics yes. about Christianity and the devil. Right. But still his fame and reputation became particularly difficult for his father, who hmm. was a minister. Oh. And often had to defend his son against his own church. Right. Oh, um, that so would be So Alice tough. said, I've never made fun of religion. Religion is something I don't even want to mess with because I'm really afraid of the clouds opening up and my being struck by lightning. <laughs> <laughs> but but he's he is a religious man. He though. is very much. Which, so. Yeah, that's what I understood. He was really his upbringing with his. Well, not his upbringing. He was reborn through the experiences that we're going to talk about. Okay. But public perception and urban myth are inexorable forces <laughs> and things like the chicken story. You told me that earlier. <laughs> they just and I don't snowballed. Remember that. Well, there was an urban myth that Alice Cooper had bitten the head off a chicken and drank its blood. And there was, you know, all these news stories. And, and it was huge. It was a uh-huh. huge story. And uh, when Frank Zappa found out about it, he called Alice Cooper into his office. He said, I heard that you did this thing. <laughs> And Alice Cooper said, no, I never did that thing. And Zappa said, great, that's that's really good. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. Don't deny it. Oh, that's funny. Because <laughs> he knew the power of myth mm-hmm, and that that mm-hmm. would grow. By the way, the uh, uh, bass player in the band just recently uh, wrote a book and, uh-huh. and gave away the actual. Uh, what happened uh-huh. was they had two chickens that they were treating kind of like pets. Right. He doesn't remember where they came from. Their names were Larry and Pecker. <laughs> And somehow one of them ended up on stage, uh-huh. and Alice Cooper found it and saw it and picked it up and was singing. And, you know, he's a Detroit kid. He right. doesn't know from chickens. Right. He thought if he threw it up in the air that it would, it would fly. fly away over the crowd. Uh-huh. What it did was fall into the crowd, and oh. the crowd tore it to pieces. Oh, so, and that was their pet chicken. And he felt terrible no about kidding. it. because <laughs> Alice Cooper has never actually harmed an animal on stage, <laughs> although he did confess to once losing a boa constrictor down a toilet. <laughs> Meanwhile, Cheryl Goddard was an 18-year-old ballet student from an L.A. academy who knew absolutely nothing Uh about the world of rock and roll. And in in 1975, a friend tipped her off about auditions for Alice Cooper's Global Welcome to My Nightmare Tour. And Cheryl recalls asking, wow, Alice Cooper, who is she? That welcome to my nightmare tour was an absolutely watershed moment oh, in yes. rock history, though. Oh, it was yes. the first time that anybody had married Broadway mm-hmm. and rock. Disney did the costumes. There were oh, dancers. My gosh. I know. Dancers, performers backing the band, full theatrical production, props. Wow. The show was complicated. So I kept going, okay, which one are you now? You're you're the dancing tooth? And the snake. And the snake. And the spider. And the ballerina. They actually found out they were interested in each other while they were in bed on stage. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) We ended up on stage in bed every night together on Only Women Bleed. She was, you know, she was uh, cold Ethel. And so she'd be in my arms and every once in a while I'd steal a kiss. And that's when I knew. (laughs) 
a year-long courtship <laughs> began early on that tour when the musicians and dancers gathered in Alice's hotel suite okay. for their favorite ritual of after-show pizza and horror movies. Oh, 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 yes. <laughs> and a conversation afterward that evening between them lasted for hours after everyone had left mm -hmm. and was enough to inspire him to break off his then-current relationship with an actress by the name of Raquel Welch. Oh, my word. <laughs> he dropped Raquel Welch. So wow. That, so, and a year later, in 1976, the two, uh, Cheryl and Alice, were married in Acapulco, Mexico, oh. in a ceremony officiated by their fathers, both ministers. Oh, so they had a lot more in common than they, they even... They did. Yeah. So, unfortunately, that rock and roll lifestyle had Alice in deep trouble by 1976. Mm -hmm. um, Well-documented substance abuse right, issues. Right, And he said, there was a point when I did just about everything you could do in the world of rock and roll. You get to a point where you've bought everything you could want, cars, houses, you're still not satisfied, and you ask, what else is out there? Mm -hmm. I was, I was, you know, leader of the pack when it came to the party in L.A. It was me and Keith Moon and Jim Morrison and Jimi Hendrix and, you know, the party was going on at all times and I didn't realize I was becoming an alcoholic. I honestly didn't wake up one morning and say, hey, I think I'm an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. It was very gradual until I started realizing that the alcohol was medicine and it wasn't alcohol anymore. And we had to live through that. Still, through all this other debauchery, he's always remained faithful to Cheryl and nice. has to this day. Nice. Uh, she returned his devotion through several rehabs, including two stints in 76 and 79, until she finally had him committed. Oh, wow. Um, and Alice made and found a sobriety that stuck finally in 1981. Wow. And then I got addicted to being straight. Mm. I got totally addicted to the sobriety. Which I think that was the thing that really worked for me, the addictive personality turned on itself, and then I got addicted to being sober. Mm -hmm. Learning from that experience, Cheryl now says, and I love this quote, never waste a good crisis. <laughs> There's so much opportunity and wisdom to be gained from it. Well, that 1981 crisis spent in a New York sanitarium lockdown ward wow. with junkies, violent felons, mentally disturbed, resulted in an album called From the Inside, Wow. And a final lasting sobriety for Alice Cooper. Nice. That experience was his religious renaissance. Okay. And that's what returned him to the roots of his family's Christian faith, uh, though that didn't always play well in the industry. Mm-hmm. I always, I always tell people that maybe the most rebellious thing Alice Cooper ever did was become Christian. People think, well, you know, the hanging and the guillotine and the chickens and the stain and the blood and everything. I said... That's showbiz. Yeah. I said, what's rebellious? Well, certainly not tearing up a hotel room. Mm. Anybody can do that. Mm. I said, deciding to follow Christ? Mm. That's rebellious. Because mm. <laughs> who was the most biggest rebel of all time was Jesus Christ. Those experiences wow. have, have indeed made them both profoundly aware of their priorities, mm -hmm. their faith, and their meaning to one another. God is the glue of our relationship. Yeah. When I see couples that talk about a 50-50 relationship, I say, run. Mm. It's a hundred and a hundred yes. and nothing. Yes. If I cannot wake up in the morning and truly think in my mind, how can I make this day better? Mm. I'm certainly not a doormat. However, I'm looking, my job is to make him look good. Mm. And that takes many shapes, many forms. And he makes me know that I'm the jewel in his crown. But he had another support too, because he turned to golf. <laughs> and today he tries to play 36 holes a day and has a handicap of seven. 
after sobriety and particularly after finding this renewed faith in exactly the kind of white picket fence destiny uh-huh. most of us would have expected for Alice Cooper, <laughs> the, the vince of darkness. <laughs> the couple expanded his 2,000 square foot Paradise Valley bachelor pad so mm-hmm. that they can hold church and charitable events. Oh. They raised three children, Calico, who's a dancer and an actress living in Los Angeles, Dash, an Arizona State grad working toward an internship with the Phoenix Coyotes, nice. and Sonora, who recently graduated high school in Phoenix. <laughs> Comments from the kids are really awesome. Mm-hmm. Calico said, we were well adjusted because we weren't spoiled. Mm. Everything we got, we had to earn. And Dash said, I never let it get to me that my dad was uh, kind of a celebrity. <laughs> He, kind of, kind of. <laughs> he, he remembered seeing his father on television at age six and his mother explaining, that's what daddy does for a living. Oh, okay. So he said, once my mom explained it to me, that's how I felt about it for the rest of my life. I thought, your dad's a lawyer, your dad's a plumber, that's what my dad does. <laughs> my dad's a rock star. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, Calico said, and, and this, this is brilliant, she said, we were raised to respect his fans. He, t- oh. he told us, those people are the reason you go to college, drive a car, have nice clothes, because they like my music and buy my records. Mm-hmm. That was pretty That's cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so, so that strong religious faith has kept the Cooper family close and with all of its members active through the years at their church in Paradise mm-hmm. Valley. Nice. Now, when not touring, which they do three to six months out of every year together, wow. um, oh. both Calico and Cheryl are on stage. Nice. Uh, the Cooper family routine isn't exactly rock star living <laughs> on the razor's edge stuff while they're at home as Alice heads out to play golf. <laughs> uh, and while he's on the links, sometimes in a smashing pink sun hat, by the way, oh, fabulous. <laughs> Cheryl rumbles her bright red Dodge Durango off to teach dance classes. Oh. Uh, she had formerly run a 500 student school called Destiny Dance International wow. until 2007, then closed it uh, to devote more time to Solid Rock, mm-hmm. which is a nonprofit group co founded by Alice that mm-hmm. keeps inner city teens out of gangs in Arizona. Nice. And The Rock, which is simply a miracle for kids and teens that need access to arts and humanities. Wow. In addition to my surprise at, at the depth and focus mm-hmm. of their faith and how integral that has been to their relationship, mm-hmm. I think the thing that surprised me most about Alice and Cheryl was, was their humility. You know, yep. They have this profound awareness about the responsibility and opportunity that come with celebrity mm-hmm. and letting everybody know that happily ever after isn't an anomaly, mm-hmm. even in the in- entertainment business, <laughs> and that love can happen for anyone. Uh, Cheryl and I are inseparable. She, we tour together. We've been touring together since she was 18 years old. And, uh, you know, she's still my girlfriend. I know she's my wife, but she's still my girlfriend. You know why? because he still pursues me like I'm not already his. Yeah, that's right. It's like, welcome to my nightmare fairy tale. The Vince of Darkness. (laughs) The Vince of Darkness. You slipped that one in. I thought that was awesome. (laughs) Better terms I've found for it. I need a moniker like that sometimes. Yes, the Vince of Darkness. Some special makeup. Yes, yeah. No, (laughs) you don't wear makeup. Especially the older I get. (laughs) Yeah, hear that. Tales from the Heart of America are produced by Scott and Tony Burns in the crooked little house of Deadwood, South Dakota. And are part of the Love in America podcast. To learn more, visit our site at loveinamerica.us. Love in America and Tales from the Heart of America are distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. Woohoo! We are in the big leagues. Hey, baby. <laughs>
We All Fall Down, a tale from the heart of America. Tofu and kale today canceled out last night's chicken fried steak. At least that's the thought that passed as logic for a fleeting second while Tony and I enjoyed a hippie style lunch at the Omaha Farmer's Market. Now passing my mid-fifties with uninvited aches, bulges, hair that refuses to grow where wanted, and a desire for kids to stay off a lawn I don't actually have, chicken fried steak is an error in judgment. The truly annoying thing about making mistakes as an old, well, older man though, is that little priggish voice in the back of my head that can't resist saying, you're old enough to know better. To which I stubbornly reply, talking to oneself apparently being another sign of advancing age, yes, but I'm still young enough to feel invincible, sometimes, before the fact. Of course, as human beings, we're all graced with the inevitability of making mistakes. The best we can hope for is that no one's around to see them. Or, if they are, they'll be ready, willing and able to get us out of whatever we've gotten into without laughing too much and putting us on YouTube. This was the case today for me and my newest friend Mooch, Sergeant-at-Arms of the Nebraska Chapter of the Combat Veterans Motorcycle Association. Having ridden tens of thousands of miles on my current bike, and who knows how many on the ones previous, in all conditions, carrying passengers and loads and apparently more than a little overconfidence about my short game, otherwise known as low speed riding and maneuvering, we pulled into today's Veterans Rally at a little airstrip outside Omaha, past the Corvette Club show-offs, around a hangar and past rows of Harleys and Indian motorcycles, a small horde of graying, leather-clad scooter jockeys milling about, waiting for the burgers and beer to begin. <laughs> my people! With the prodigious baggage load I carry for Love in America journeys stripped and stacked back at the motel, my road king felt nimble under my gloves. Rounding the aisles of parked bikes, I deftly turned, shifting to neutral and preparing to put boot to the ground and backwalk into place. And at the apex of the turn, I then gracefully and effortlessly fell over. <laughs> As I told Tony when she first dropped her own bike years ago, don't worry about it, that happens to everybody once in a while. It even happened once to the leading Top Gun Ace rider for the Westminster Police Department, right in the parking lot of the police station. But it doesn't happen to me. I'm too experienced, too practiced, too old. It especially doesn't happen in front of an entire company of seasoned riders and combat veterans. Denial never actually negates the object, though, so there I stood, trying in vain to pick up 875 pounds of motorcycle up from the pavement. Along comes Mooch, my savior, grabbing the Lindy bar and seat mount, showing that he knew how to get a bike off the ground, and helped me push it back up to a normal, if deeply embarrassed, position. Flooded, my ride refused to start, and so I coasted it into position with as much aplomb as was left to me. The visit to the Veterans Rally proved fairly brief as several scheduled events had been canceled, attendance was down, and most of the few folks who had come gathered themselves into private groups of close friends and comrades. Finding Mooch to thank him again before we hit the road, maybe I need a different term for that today. He gave some wonderful man-in-the-street comments on camera, showing himself to be colorful, amiable, 
and a fountain of one-liners that will populate our montage videos for months. You collect love stories? He said, I've been with my wife for 43 years and my girlfriend for 24. As we talked, I set aside my earlier embarrassment in favor of the realization that what I told Tony about her own writing experience still holds true. As humans, we all fall down sometimes, and not just on motorcycles. If it were going to happen to me today, I was actually blessed by having it occur where a friend I'd not yet met was there to help. Hey, in a pinch, who better than a combat veteran when you're in need? I recalled all the times over my teaching years that I sat with an angry or embarrassed kid and told them how we can't control a situation, just our reaction to it. I'd also tell them that we're never stronger than when we forgive others. But the hardest person to forgive is always ourselves. We're also the most difficult person from whom to take advice. So, humbled as I was already, I decided to give it a try. In choosing to laugh it off with thanks, rather than make excuses or remain angry with myself, there was an opportunity to make a friend and to feel the community of simply being human with him. We both know that sometimes we all fall down. Still, to be honest, I sure hope that next time I'm the one doing the picking up for a friend. <laughs> I like to help, and I may be old, but I'm not that mature yet. I hope to see Mooch again, and I revel in knowing that as friends, we've combined our stories through this experience. It was a soothing reminder that the power of love we're trying so hard to trumpet is partly the comfort of knowing that there can always be a hand up when needed. That when we meet the world with love, someone we may not even know yet always has our backs. It was a thought that made me smile as we started to pull away and Mooch reached down to grab something off my saddlebag. Handing it over, he chuckled, Hey, you forgot your helmet. <laughs> it's good to have friends. <laughs> so thanks for joining us this week for the Love in America podcast. Love in America is produced by Scott and Tony Burns in the Crooked Little House in Deadwood, South Dakota. <laughs> to learn more, visit our website at loveinamerica.us. Love in America and Tales from the Heart of America are distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. <laughs> and we are looking forward to sharing the love with you next time on... Love in America. <laughs> hey, there's more to that story. <laughs> there's always more to the story.